We know that when the Jewish people were in the desert, they had water because of the miraculous well of Miriam. And after she passed away, it stopped temporarily and then returned in Moshe's merit. Likewise, we had the clouds that protected us in the merit of Aaron. What happened to them after he passed away? That the the well that provided water for the Jewish people in the desert, Miriam, was in Miriam's merit. For which reason, take Miriam straight after Miriam passes away. The Torah records the people did not have water. So the well is thanks to Miriam. And the so-called clouds of glory were in Aaron's merit, and therefore, therefore the Chachomim tell us that when Aaron HaKohim passed away, those clouds of glory departed. Now, nonetheless, we know for a fact that the well continued even after Miriam had passed away. And we also are told that the clouds continued after Aaron passed away. Because the Chazal tell us that afterwards, both the well and the clouds returned in Moshe's merit, as the Chazal tell us. Seems simple, right? So at first glance it appears that Rashi in his commentary which is the simplest understanding of the Pesukim it would appear that Rashi says exactly the same thing. Where do we find that? Because the Pasuk we've just quoted that the nation did not have water Pirish Rashi, Rashi explains why they didn't have water. Mikan from here we learn that for 40 years in the desert they had a well that accompanied them miraculously in Miriam's merit. So after Miriam, obviously it, it must have stopped. Therefore they had no water. Be Allah Pasuk and commenting on the Pasuk that says that the so-called Kenanim heard that there was a, a breach and it was possible to attack the Jewish people. Because of, therefore, there Rashi explains, Shoma Shemes Aaron, that nation heard that Aaron had passed away, and the clouds of glory dissipated, and therefore there was a vulnerability and you could attack, they thought, the Jewish people. On the other hand, we find, as we've mentioned, we find that the, the well was still there after Miriam had passed away, as the Pasha tells us. Where that uh, <coughs> ambush that was supposed to happen to the Jewish people, and instead Hashem crushed the enemy's way, lying in wait, and we only knew about it because their remains were washed down in the Be'er. As Rashi explains in the Pasuk, that went from the high places to Gai, in the fields of Moav, and then he says, that's where the, 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 um, <coughs> the well eventually stopped altogether. Which implied, that as far as Rashi is concerned, exactly as we saw in the Chazal, after the, the well temporarily stopped when Miriam passed away, it was reinstated in Moshe's merit. Which would lead you to say, that you would assume that the same logic applies, that even though after Aaron passed away, the clouds disappeared, they were reinstated in Moshe's merit. Because it's no logic to say, because logic would say the same way in which Moshe's merit is enough to reinstate the water to look after the people in the desert, it must have been powerful enough to reinstate the clouds to protect and look after the people in the desert. That's what you'd think. 
Amlam lefize tamua. The only thing is that there's a really strange issue when you think about it. Sipor chazoras habe'er harimafurish bekosi. The fact that the well returned and was functional again is described in the Torah. Because it says, The people didn't have water. Therefore, they came and they congregated against Moshe. And they, they fought with Moshe. They complained. And then, Hashem tells Moshe what to do. Take your stick and hit the rock. And then they would have water again. Or at least speak to the rock and then, you know, you, you, you'd have water. So there we see clearly that Hashem instructed a way that they should get water again. But when it comes to the story of the clouds, in Kotsiun, there's no indication, not in the words of the Pasuk, nor in Rashi's commentary, how it happened that the clouds were returned, and when the clouds returned. So that's odd, because we would have thought that they're both the same, that the Torah will tell us about them. So how come we have no mention of what happened with the clouds and how they were reinstated, although we assume that they were, and Chazal tell us that they were? And furthermore, we have to understand, Think about this logically. After Miriam passed away, and the water dried up, that caused everybody to gather and to complain to Moshe. So logically, the same kind of thing should have happened after the clouds dissipated, when Aaron passed away. You expect that the Jews would come clamoring. The case of Telemotsinu, how is that we find no evidence? We find no evidence that the Jews came to complain. Where are the clouds that were protecting us? So, what happened with the clouds? We'll attempt an answer, which is that according to Pshat, which is Rashi's approach, the clouds did not come back. Chazal speak about it. That's not Pshat. Rashi speaks the language of Pshat. We have nowhere in the Torah that discusses the clouds returning after Aaron had passed away at some point. So therefore, maybe the Pshat is they did not. And you could say, it's not a big deal. Simple reason. Because maybe at that stage of the game, they no longer required those clowns, those clouds. In other words, what were the clouds for when you analyze that and you realize where the Jews are? Maybe Taka, they didn't need the clouds. Because Kfarpir Shashili'il, Rashi already explained previously, that those clouds surrounded the Jewish people, on all four sides, and above them, Lemata and below them. And the purpose was three or four major things. First of all, it was a protection against sunstroke and against literally the sun. Second thing, as Rashi explains in this parasha, it used to clean and press their clothes. Okay? In addition to those clouds that surrounded them, there was another cloud that went ahead of them in the front, and its job was to show them where to go. And to clear the path and to protect them from any hazards. As it says, it would flatten anything that was high, raise anything that would have been a valley, and killed all snakes and scorpions, so it eased the path for them. Now, where are they? After the passing of Aaron, where are they? The Jews did not, no longer needed these services, which the clouds had provided. 
When Aaron passes away, they're at Horahar, which means they're on the Eremite border. That the end of the desert, in places that are now built up and, and, and inhabited areas. So it's not as exposed to the sun as they were out in the desert. They don't need the protective canopy and air conditioning. Not only is it not a, that the place is no longer so exposed and, and rough as in the desert, but also look at the time of when this occurred. Because Ptiras Aaron so we know that when did Aaron pass away? That's very close to where you're hitting the solstice and it's going to start to cool off a little bit. Because our tradition is that from the 15th of Av, that's already when the sun begins to cool off a little bit. Ah, you'll say, yes, that may be true that the sun is starting to weaken a bit as it travels south again. That does not contradict something Rashi said by Parashas Noach much earlier in Torah. That he says, That heat actually, because he speaks about the seasons of the Parashas Noach, and the season of heat is actually later. The end of summer, Chatsi of the second half of Av, Ve'el of Chatsi Tishrei, and the month of Elul and half of Tishrei, Sha'ilam Chombi Yosef, when the world, the earth is particularly hot, Shilakaita Koshimikaita, as the expression goes, that the, the fringes of summer are harsher than summer itself. That's not an issue for us here. Datam Shom, who there Rashi is talking in a different context. Kamoshadir Rashi Bilashoinoi. Rashi was very precise in what he said. The earth has heated up. Because the atmosphere has been heated through the, the heat of summer, the, the apex of summer. And people have retained heat for a period of time because they've been through the summer. But that's not what we're examining over here. We're talking about the desert, which is exposure to direct sunlight. The actual heat and intensity of the sun's direct light. This is the time of the year from Tubaov, where it begins to decline, as you can actually see in practice. So therefore, maybe the clouds didn't have to return because they didn't need the clouds. In our context, until Aaron passed away, which was actually in the summer, they had the clouds as long as Aaron was alive, and it protected them from the beating sun that you feel in a desert. But the concept that the atmosphere builds heat and the people retain heat, that actually never happened to them because they were in the protective clouds. And now we're headed to the 15th of Av, where the direct sunlight is going to decline. They don't need now to have these clouds, the that they shouldn't be hit with heat stroke or with the intensity of the sun. And by the same argument, we could say the other services that the clouds provided are not so necessary at this point. The fact that the clouds laundered and helped their clothing to always fit them or whatever it was, we'll see a little bit later whether it was the clouds that did it or not. But they kept the cloud, their the clothing clean. Now they're closer to, to habitat, human habitat. So if somebody's clothing can no longer fit or is worn out, 
You could go buy clothing from one of the neighboring settlements. So you don't need the miracle of the clouds to keep the clothing unusually or supernaturally in good nick because you could just go buy new clothing. And they also don't need the cloud in front of them to guide them where to go. Because they're not in the sands of the desert. They're now in an inhabited area where there are roads. And you can actually follow the roads. You don't need a miraculous cloud. You just need to follow the road. And lastly, you don't need the exterminator cloud to clear out the snakes and scorpions because it's far less likely to be exposed to snakes and scorpions when you're in an inhabited area. So maybe that's the answer. Maybe the Torah doesn't tell us that the clouds came back because they didn't come back. Because they didn't need to come back. Because everybody's fine. Even what about the cloud that 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 flattened the, you know, that evened out the surface for them. As Rashi comments on the Pasuk Herahar, where it describes that double mountain that Aaron was going to be buried on. So he says, Even though the cloud went ahead of them and flattened all the mountains, there were three mountains that were never impacted. One of them is the mountain that Moshe was going to be buried on. Ah, so maybe that tells us that there were Tucker clouds because Moshe passed away later than Aaron. And the fact that Moshe's mountain was not flattened sounds like the clouds were still there that could have flattened the mountain and didn't. That when the Jews got to that point, the cloud didn't flatten that mountain. We can wriggle our way out of that particular question by saying, The miracle that no, that no mountains were flattened, by the cloud, it's not that the cloud went ahead at each spot and then flattened the area. The cloud was actually a few days ahead of them. Even before Aaron passed away, the cloud had already flattened all the way from Aaron's mountain to Moshe's mountain without touching the mountain. And then when Aaron passed away, the cloud disappeared. Which would actually explain the order in which Rashi presents the three mountains that were not flattened. Har Sinai, which is chronologically right at the beginning of their stay in the desert. Vahar Navoi, which is actually the mountain of Moshe Rabbeinu, which should have been the last mountain mentioned. And then the Hoyrahar, which is the mountain that Aaron was on. If Rashi had intended to present this chronologically, he should have said Hanavoi after Hoyrahar, but he didn't. For which reason we could possibly explain. Rashi wants to allude to the fact that he's first discussing Hanavoi, the mountain that Moshe would pass away on, before Hoyrahar, which happened first, the mountain that Aaron was, was going to pass away on. Because maybe he wants to allude to Hoyrahar. The fact that this cloud did not flatten Harnavoi is not something that happened later on. When the Jews got there, but it was at the same time that it flattened the area around Harnavoi and left that mountain standing. It flattened other areas as well and left Harnavoi standing. Either way you look at it, possibly, according to Pshat, 
the, the clouds that had protected the Jews for 40 years and disappeared when Aaron passed away, Taka disappeared and never came back. Maybe that's the explanation. And why? Because we don't really need them. It's just not a good enough explanation. Because we have no choice but to say, We have no choice but to say that those clouds were reinstated even after Aaron HaKoyim passed away and they did still accompany the Jewish people. We can prove this for a few reasons. Number one, Aleph, Bepashtus. The simplest explanation of to show them the way that doesn't only mean, well, there's no roads in the desert and you might get lost, so you need this beacon, you know, like the tour guides who hold their big flag for everybody to follow. The purpose of that cloud is to show which way, and to which direction, where Hashem wants them to travel. That's got nothing to do with roads. Now we know that even after Aaron passed away, there were quite a number of journeys that the Jews still had to make. And those journeys were not just simply based on the highways that were available, but on Hashem's guidance of where they needed to go. They surely needed that cloud still in, in service to guide them. Number two base. Rashi Kosebeferos. Rashi explicitly told us. That after Aaron passed away, the Jewish people backtracked in the direction of Yamsuf, seven journeys backwards. In other words, back into the desert. So even if you want to say that the only purpose of the cloud to lead them was because you could get lost in the desert, they were in the desert after Aaron passed away, so they still needed that cloud. Number three, Gimel here, the clouds not only protected the Jews against snakes and scorpions, but it also protected them against any nation that might want to attack them. Go all the way back to what Rashi describes about what happened when Amalek attacked the Jewish people. There he says, that Moshe Rabbeinu told Yoshua to go out. The word say is quite a specific word. It means go out to fight against Amalek. Says Rashi, that means go out of the protection of the cloud in order to fight against Amalek. Which tells us very clearly then, as long as the Jews were encircled by these clouds, no nation could reach them, no nation could overpower them, no nation could attack them. As Rashi also explained, back then in Parashas B'Shalach, that the Egyptians shot arrows and, and various sea, uh, catapult stones, and the clouds absorbed them like a, like a bulletproof vest and protected the people inside. For which reason that the clouds protected them against enemies, that's why they take up Acham Yisus Aaron, straight after Aaron passes away, the Kananim hear what's going on, and they say, we're going to attack. Rashi, Rashi explains what happened. When that nation saw, they saw that those clouds had disappeared. And they thought, that that was now a, a green light to be able to attack the Jewish people. Now, in other words, you can't tell them the clouds have disappeared. They're not yet in Eretz Canaan. They're still exposed. They need this protection. 
So they obviously needed these clouds to protect the Jews because of the wars that they were still going to confront before they got into Israel. Dalid, another reason to prove that the clouds still had to have been there even after Aaron passed away. Because the purpose of the clouds during the 42 journeys the Jews took in the desert it wasn't only to tell them the direction that they had to walk. Also to tell them when it was time to walk. When the cloud lifted, it was time to go. When the cloud settled, it was time to stop. How long they would camp for and how long they had to journey for. As we know, the Torah tells us in detail in Pashas Baloischa. And that information, when to go, how quickly to move, when to stop, that was necessary all the way until they entered Eretz Yisrael. So they still need the clouds. And Heve Iker, most obviously, right at the end of Parashas Bolak, after Aaron has already passed away, after the uh, Midianite women come along to attack the Jewish men, and they told, Moshe Rabbein is told that you have to put them in front of the sun and they will determine who's guilty and needs to be killed. Pesh Rashi, Rashi explains. How did this work? The sun would identify the women that had sinned with the Jewish men. How? The cloud would sort of fold back and a beam of sun would come out and identify that person, that person, that person. Rashi is clearly telling us that there were still clouds after Aaron passed away. And it was such a cloud that protected us from the sun. Because in order to get the sun in, the cloud has to open. So you can't argue that the clouds did not return after Aaron passed away. And if that case, in that case, the question we originally asked returns. How come the Torah and even Rashi does not mention anything about these clouds coming back after they had disappeared? And how they came back with, with the bear? We know what happened. Moshe's going to go speak to the stone. It's not mentioned anywhere. And how come there's no record of the Jewish people complaining that they were now vulnerable because the clouds had gone? And the answer to all of this is we have to pay attention to the language that is used to describe these clouds. Pay attention to what Rashi says, and you'll see that he's very precise and does not always use the same language when referring to the clouds. Many times Rashi calls them clouds of glory. Yet in other places he just calls them clouds. The truth is, not only Rashi, but the Midrash Chazal also make that distinction. They speak about the fact that there were seven clouds, right? So you have the four sides above and below and the cloud that's all the way in the front leading them. There are many places in Midrash that say there were seven clouds. Whereas in other places in the Midrash it says that there were seven clouds of glory. 
Haloshen, Rashi speaks about Shiva Anonim and Kesubim that there are seven clouds. That tells us something. That should get our attention. One second. There are clouds of glory, and then there are seven clouds. What are you telling me here? Shlem Abiyos, the answer is, Achiluk ben anonim stam, lanane kovoit, the difference between ordinary clouds and clouds of glory, inyone bepashtos, is actually quite simple. Anane kovoit, if you hear that phrase, clouds, of glory, take it literally. Those clouds serve only one person, one purpose, which is to highlight the glory, the honor of the Jewish people. That's what those clouds are for. In other words, there were certain clouds in Certain clouds were there to protect the Jewish people. And to provide their requirements, their needs. Things that were critical for their survival. And naturally, if you see that Hashem has provided clouds that protect the people, both from enemies and from snakes and from the sun, and looks after the clothes, etc., naturally that shows you the glory of the Jewish people. Besides those clouds that serve a specific purpose, there are other clouds that don't serve a utilitarian purpose. Their entire purpose is their sole purpose is to tell the world, look how much honor and glory Hashem gives to the Jewish people. They're two types of cloud. We had our question because we thought they're all the same clouds. This will help us clarify. First of all, we recognize now that not all of the seven clouds fall into the category of clouds that are solely and specifically for glory. The cloud whose job it was to flatten the terrain and to kill all the dangerous creatures. That is not one of the glory clouds. That's a cloud that serves a practical purpose to help the Jews travel safely. And the clouds that protect them from the sun, or to protect them from enemies, that doesn't qualify as an Anan Hakovoid. It's an Anan Hagona. It's a protective cloud. It serves them for critical areas of need. Therefore, when Rashi describes those clouds, he uses the word aloshan, anan, stam. Those are clouds. For example, yes, we'll prove it. But say, when Moshe tells Yeshua to go out to fight against Amalek, Rashi says, say, min, he, onon, go out of the cloud, not the anan, the cloud. What, which cloud? The cloud that serves the purpose of protection. You've got to go out of that cloud. Zorikim Chitzim, when he tells us how the Egyptians shot at the Jews, not Ananakovit, Onon, an ordinary cloud, the cloud of protection, absorbed the missiles. When he discusses the mountains, he says, The cloud that flattened the terrain, not the cloud of glory. When he discusses how they proved which women were the guilty women, the cloud opens up. And the sun shines through. 
doesn't say when he describes who were the victims of Amalek he says those who kind of f- uh, failed or, or, or uh, were, were, were susceptible he says the cloud expelled them in none of those expressions does Rashi use the word because those are clouds that serve specific purposes there's a different category of cloud clouds that are there to highlight the greatness of the Jewish people. So, when it comes to describing which clouds disappeared after Aaron passed away, Rashi says, The clouds that are there specifically to show the greatness of the Jewish people, the honor, the glory of the Jewish people, they're the ones who went. Only those clouds that were for the honor of the Jewish people. Not the clouds that provided needs of the Jewish people. And according to Rashi's view, which is Pshat, those clouds of glory did not in fact return. Once they left after Aaron passed away, they left. And it's quite self-understood. And then you can understand why nobody was writing in the streets and saying, hey, what happened to our clouds? As they complained about losing the well, because you could survive without the cloud. It's not something you can complain about. It's a nice to have. It's a huge bonus. Debesh is putting his stamp of approval over us. If that's gone, it's upsetting. But it's not something you can say, we need it in order to survive. By the way, this actually addresses a question raised by one of the commentaries, the Re'im. Seeing as the clouds encircled the people on all four sides, and a cloud above them, and a cloud below them, and we make a sukkah every single year to remind us of those clouds, as Rashi says, that when the Torah tells us that the, the reason we make a sukkah is because Hashem put us in sukkahs in the desert, that means anane kovoit, the clouds of glory. Haya ro'oi asks the re'aim, it makes sense. Shafa sukkah tiya echad l'mayla vechad l'mata v'dalad m'dalad r'choyseha. That we should have a sukkah that is not just four walls, but it should have a wall above us and a wall below us to remind us of the clouds that surrounded us on all sides. Whereas practically, v'iladinu, in order to have a kosher sukkah, two walls and one piece of an amma wide, whatever it is, is enough to be able to accommodate a sukkah. How come? And the truth is, if you're going with his logic, you can add to his question and say, If the sukkah is supposed to remind us of the clouds, maybe we should have a freestanding wall in front of the sukkah to represent the cloud that went ahead of the Jewish people. But we've now tackled and answered that question. What are we remembering when we make a sukkah? Not the clouds that served a practical purpose, but the clouds that were there as a sign of Hashem's glory and respect for the Jewish people. Those clouds that are only there to highlight the, the value of the Jewish people. But the cloud that was in the front, that was, that was practical. As well as many of the other clouds, they served practical purposes. We don't have to recall them in our sukkah. 
So therefore, the amount of walls that are required in order for a sukkah to be kosher is actually not linked to the practical amount of clouds that were around the Jewish people. And the truth is, you could actually say that the clouds kind of change from time to time. Let's say that there was a time that there was no need to protect the Jews from any of those threats, the snakes, the sun, or enemies on a particular side. Then at that point in time, that cloud was no longer a pragmatic cloud, it was a glory cloud. So what we now know is that those clouds that were required to keep the Jewish people safe or to look after their clothing, for example, they returned after Aaron passed away. Whereas the clouds that were none covered, they left and did not come back. With that information, we could better understand the story of the so-called Kenanim who wanted to attack the Jewish people in the parasha. Now we can understand how Rashi was so precise in his description of what happened with these Kenanim who wanted to attack the Jewish people. What does Rashi say? The clouds of Kovot left, which led them to think that they now had been given the green light to attack the Jewish people. Surely Rashi should have said something which is a much bigger insight. Surely the fact is, if we were to take it literally, that all of the clouds disappeared, then it's not that they saw that they were given the rights to attack the Jewish people. They saw that they were given the physical opportunity to attack. The barrier, the protection is gone. Because before this, the Jews were surrounded by clouds, and it was impossible to attack them. And now those clouds are gone, and we can attack them. But the way that we've now explained the distinction between clouds that serve a practical purpose and anane covered, it actually makes sense what Rashi is telling us. Because after the anane covered disappeared when Aaron passed away, the Jews still had the cloud that was there for practical protection. But these Kananim had such a messed up approach, they thought, seeing as Nebuchadnezzar has now removed his unique protective, uh, not protective, his unique cloud of his stamp of, these are my special people. Debesh is not, not advertising the same degree of honor of the Jewish people. High in their corrupted minds. They saw that as a green light to attack. Debesh just diminished how much he appreciates the Jews. But the practicality of attacking the Jews, because they still had the protective clouds, didn't change at all. I so you can ask, what were they thinking? How did they think they were going to attack? Don't ask that question. What were they thinking? That they're going to attack the Jews if they had their protective cloud. It's a valid point. He has a classic example of where a person gets so caught up in their own chutzpah that it makes them mad. They started to take themselves so seriously that they believed that if they launched an attack against the Jewish people, the Jews would come out of the clouds and expose themselves in order to attack them. 
בפרט לפי פרי רשע שלפני זה, especially when you consider what Rashi tells us, שהכנעני הנזקקנו המולק, that these כנענים were not ordinary כנענים, they were המולק disguised as כנענים. והמולק הרי הוא יוצא שיוצא את כהן מלכי נלחם באילו מישראל לנכשלם אחר ושלום פולטון. And המולק already had an historical experience where previously they had seen that there were certain people who did not deserve the protection of the cloud and the cloud had expelled them. So they thought there's going to actually be people to attack. אפילו כאשר הוא כל האומס יראים נלחם בוכם. This is המולק if you recall that when every other nation was too afraid to come anywhere near they wouldn't touch the Jews with a barge pole. He was like the guy jumps into the boiling bath. Even if it's going to burn him. That same psychology persists. Once again, Amalek doesn't learn from history and is ready to jump in, boots and all, without actually thinking it through and realizing that they're protected by the clouds. And that's what Rashi is telling us. The protective clouds, the clothes-washing clouds, they never disappear. Clouds of Kovoid, those are the ones that go after our and passes away. Hello, like we could still ask a question on this explanation, that there's a big distinction between those clouds that are called Ananiakovid and those clouds that are ordinary clouds. Rashi. You could ask the question, one second, you said clouds that serve a purpose are not called Ananiakovid. Rashi says they are. Rashi says, Rashi is the one who says that the Ananei HaKovoid cleaned their clothes. And Rashi says that even the children, as they grew older, so their clothing grew with them. Now these are two apparent influences of the clouds on the people. Surely those both fall into the category of human needs. And those are not concepts that are just purely to illustrate how much Hashem loves us and wants to honor us. So how does Rashi use the expression for those clouds? Truth is, it might appear to be a question. It's actually not a question. Give a pastures. Let's look at it very simply. Divrei Rashi. When Rashi tells us, that the children, as they grew up, so their clothing grew with them. Rashi never said that that was something the clouds did. Because what logical connection could there possibly be between the miracle of clothing that consistently grew to fit them and the fact that they had clouds, and specifically Anani Kovit? Elo, rather, what's happening over here is Once Rashi was talking about clothing, he used that as an opportunity to quote an independent, different miracle that occurred, that the clothes grew with them. It has nothing to do with the clouds. It had to do with a miracle associated with their bodies. As Rashi describes, like this kind of skin or lizard or whatever it is, that its, its skin grows along with it. Its kind of lavush grows along with it. So what is Rashi Discuss it in the context of the clouds. Why does Rashi quote this business of the clothing growing with them as a continuation of his explanation? After he's just told us that the clouds cleaned their clothes. 
It's because there's another question you might have asked at that point. You might have asked this. If you're dealing with adults, they could have had one type of clothing that they wore for 40 years. Because the clothing never got worn out. But you'd ask a question. How could children wear the same clothes without ever changing the size? Because the nature is that children are going to grow bigger. Therefore Rashi tells us that there was a miracle, nothing at all to do with the clouds. That their clothes grew with them. Uh, does that answer our question? Not 100% yet. Now, the fact is, Rashi said that the clouds of so-called kavod are the ones that are laundering their clothes. It might have happened, but it wasn't something that was completely dependent on the clouds. In other words, to level the ground, there's no other way to level the ground except the clouds. To protect them from the sun, there's no other way except the clouds. To protect them from arrows of the enemies, no other way except the clouds. To clean their clothes, they're alternatives. <laughs> Let's say that there were not clouds. They could have, there was, there was the bearish on Miriam, they could have laundered their clothes in the water, like normal people. And that's actually similar to the fact that the miracle, Hashem did provide the miracle, that their clothing never wore out. But it wasn't an essential miracle. They could have come to, to, to have new clothing. First of all, the Torah tells us that they took a fortune of clothing with them as part of the booty they took when they left when they left Mitzrayim. Or they had many sheep; they could have used wool and made their own clothes. And they traveled in all different directions. The probability is that they encountered human settlement along the way. They could have bought clothes. In other words, we want to distinguish between miracles that happened and miracles that needed to happen. So therefore this idea, the fact that the clouds kept their clothes clean and pressed and whatever. It's not because without that there was no other way they'd have clean clothes. It was just because they wanted to remove one little niggling chore from their list. That actually is exactly Anani HaKovet. I don't want you to have to do something that requires a little bit of work. What does that tell you? That Abisha cherishes us. How much Hashem holds us dear. And therefore, that is taka part of the glory clouds. One more question. In Dibre Rashi, when Rashi tells us, Rashi tells us that eventually, when that miraculous water hole disappeared, it was after Moshe passed away. Naturally, that implies that the reintroduction of the well of water was thanks to Moshe, because it disappeared after he passed away. So, why didn't those clouds of glory that are this great sign of Hashem's love for us, why did they not return in Moshe's merit? The explanation is fascinating. 
If you go with the simplest understanding, which is Rashi's understanding of the Pasuk, whatever the Jews got via Moshe, operated in a different way, not like the things they got from Aaron Amir. Meaning, why did the Jews originally have the miraculous well? Because Miriam had so much schus, so much merit, it earned them a miraculous well. Why did they have Anane HaKovod as the sign to the whole world that Hashem cherishes the Jewish people? Because Aaron had so much merit that for that, for that they were able to get these clouds. But when it comes to Moshe providing for the Jewish people, because as we know, Moshe Rabbeinu is the faithful shepherd. And therefore, Moshe was absolutely concerned that the Jews should have everything that they needed. And at the right time, when they needed it. That's different. And that helps us to appreciate the Gishmak on Israel. The fact that Moshe concerned himself to provide the needs of the Jewish people, it's not like in It's not something that Moshe is a great person who has a tremendous amount of merit, and therefore we naturally get all these things. In which case, once the person is no longer in the picture, the schus is no longer in the picture, the brocha is no longer in the picture. Because here's the beautiful part. Moshe Rabbeinu worries that we should have what we need and therefore shachar After Moshe Rabbeinu passes away, either his brochas continue or we no longer need him for the brochas. Look at the example of the well. Moshe Rabbeinu passes away, the well disappears. Oh, Nebuch, sounds like we lost out because Moshe is not yet. No, he never They no longer needed the Be'er. They at the edge of the Yarden, they're about to cross into Eretz Yisrael. They're no longer going to be in the desert. Same thing with the miraculous mon food. When Moshe Rabbeinu passed away in Zayin Adar, that was the last time that the mon ever fell. But the mon that they received in the last batch lost them. Rashi tells us from Zayin Adar over a month later, Five weeks later, on the 16th of Nisan, when they brought the Korban Oymer, they had mon that whole time. So what do you see? Moshe is not just, I have a tremendous merit, and as long as I'm around, you get my merit, therefore you get the brochas. Moshe concerns himself for the Jewish people. You have exactly what you need, as long as you need it. Even after, he's no longer here. Which gives us a tremendous lesson for every Nasi. After they leave us physically. The Nasi is no longer physically present. So we think that their resources and their brochas have dried up. Like the man after Moshe passes away. What is the human eye see? No more man falling out of the sky. You think that's it? In a camp for some who it's well known what our Rebbeim have taught us, Asha Loi Pordu Mialtoin Mar Isa. 
that the Nasi never separates from his flock. Not only as the Gemara says that he serves on high as he served here in this world. And we can't see that with human eyes. But whatever things that Nasi achieved for the Yidden while living on the physical plane... They never stop. That input never dries up. That they continue to provide for us and we continue to fill ourselves even after that person, that Nasi, is no longer physically in our reality. That's the unique connection between this principle and Yudbeze Gimotamash, which many years ago, in the year the represent the Sikhan Tosh and Lamates, Yudbeze Gimotamash follows Shabbos Parashas Chukas. So there's a connection. Because the Geula of the Fidik Rebbe illustrates exactly this point. On a rainbow muchosh, we could see absolutely clearly that Hanitzochin va'Gaula did Beisigim Otamus ba'Yomim Ahem. The events of Yud Beisigim Otamus would happen, which happened all the way back then, right? Shehevidei Hachzogas Hatayu Avotz Hayadus Vechulei. That caused a strengthening and a spreading of Torah and Yiddishkeit in an unprecedented fashion. Even under the Iron Curtain, under the the watchful eyes of Stalin. And who pulled him shechas at That didn't dry up at some point. It continues today and continues in greater measure today. And there's already a third generation of observant, committed Jews in that same country that wanted to eradicate Chas Shalom Yiddishkeit. When something happens for three generations, the Torah guarantees that when you have three generations, it's never going to disappear. Beyond that, we see even those Jews who were completely severed from a connection to Yiddishkeit for many generations, because of the overwhelming uh, circumstances, and the impossible uh, conditions that they lived under. Till today, they draw strength and connection from the fact that the Fidik Rebbe was redeemed. That event, all those years ago, almost 100 years ago, that arouses them still today to Tshuva and connection. So therefore, when we apply ourselves properly to the things that we're supposed to do in, in, in context of the Chag of the Fidik Rebbe, which is the Chazak Torah V'yados Ula Fitzam, to strengthen Torah and Yiddishkeit and to spread it. Kerel B'fratin in Shazman Groma, particularly the call of the hour, Afotzas Mayonas Chasidus Chutzo, to spread Chasidus as far and as wide as possible. Azai Ko Osimar, that will bring the Master, Domalke Meshicha, Mashiach himself, Bimheira V'yomenu Amen.